0: Thank you for joining us for another podcast from the Commonwealth Club.
1: Uh, hello and good morning. I uh, want to welcome you all here today to the Commonwealth Club, and I'm happy and pleased to be the moderator for today's program, The Future of Downtown San Francisco. I'm a staff writer at the San Francisco Standard, which is a relatively new online news source, sfstandard.com. Got to do a quick plug. Um, my focus of The Standard is on the recovery of San Francisco's economy in the post-pandemic. So today's topic is of particular importance to me. Um, this is my first time moderating a Commonwealth Club panel, and I couldn't think of a more timely and relevant topic. Uh, per, there is perhaps no more important topic to San Francisco's future than this. Quite frankly, we're at a critical juncture for downtown San Francisco. And there was hopes that this fall would be a turning point where employees would come back and streets would be filled as they were once were. That hasn't happened. While things have certainly improved from the near-apocalyptic emptiness of the early days of the pandemic, today many buildings remain quiet on most days, and human traffic on sidewalks and streets is still limited. Some people have returned to offices, but hybrid work is becoming the norm. Recently, Mayor Breed, Mayor London Breed, publicly recognized that her push to have employees return to the office has had limited impact and began to voice the need for new solutions to turn around and unliven downtown. And that's what we're here to discuss. And let's be clear. We need a vibrant downtown and vibrant neighborhoods. It's not an either or. A vibrant downtown helps the city overall, including the payments of property taxes, which help fund the city's government and services. And it's clear we have reached a pivot point. We need new solutions and approaches to bring back downtown San Francisco. And that's why we're here today. With speakers inside and outside San Francisco city government who are committed to bringing back the area or turning the area into a thriving region once again. Yes, we want to talk about the problems we're facing, and there are many, but we also want to talk about what's being done and what is the path forward. We're starting with two of our speakers, um, Robbie Silver, the head of the Downtown SF Partnership, and Laura Crescimano of SiteLab. Before we jump into a conversation, a reminder that we want our our audience to ask questions. If you have questions for me or any of the guests, um, if you're in person, please write them on the question cards on your seats. If you're watching online, please put them into the YouTube uh, chat feature and questions will be given to me throughout the program. Uh, I hope to get to as many of them as possible. So, uh, So let's jump in. Robbie, I'd like to start with you. We're here to discuss the future of downtown San Francisco, and you are the head of the Downtown SF Partnership. Tell us a little about your organization and kind of uh, give us a little scene setter for what we're going to be discussing today. Sure. Uh, Thank you, Kevin,
0: for the introduction. And uh, great to see people in person. Um, Good morning, everyone. Uh, I'm Robbie Silver, the executive director of the Downtown SF Partnership. And for those who don't know, um, the city has 18 what we call community benefit districts. And we were formed in January of 2020, two months exactly before the pandemic hit. Um, we serve the financial district and Jackson square neighborhoods. It's about 43, uh, square blocks, 75% of my budget actually goes straight to our cleaning and safety. And, um, these are my district boundaries, um, on the screen. They're very hard to describe. So that's why I put a visual. <laughs> um, but you, as you can see, we cover mo- most of the downtown economic core, which has just been completely devastated, um, economically based on the pandemic. Um, we need to reimagine downtown you know this is a pivotal moment that we can actually make a difference and do something about it Um, through our uh, work with our board of directors we decided that um, we needed to do something in the public realm as a start why not do something um, that we can control which is what happens on our alleys on our back streets there's so much layered history um, in downtown san francisco The waterfront used to come right up to Montgomery, you know, back in the day. There's buried ships um, underneath the financial district, and that's a story, you know, that we can play out in the public realm. Two pilots that we've done um, so far to date, um, this is uh, Battery Street, um, which was closed to vehicular traffic in 2020 as part of Better Market Street. Obviously, we didn't want this to be the representative of a new public space in downtown San Francisco, Uh, We worked directly with the city and commissioned um, local uh, mission-based artist Claudio Talavera Bayon uh, to paint a 1,900-square-foot mural right on the street. Uh, It took five weeks to complete, um, and here is an aerial shot. Uh, We now have new landscaping, and we activate this on Tuesdays and Thursdays um, for lunchtime. Another pilot um, that we did very successfully last year Um, that we're bringing back this year. It's called Let's Glow SF. Um, It uh, became the largest holiday projection mapping event in the United States, where we projection mapped light shows on four downtown properties uh, for 10 nights in December. This was a test case for us because we wanted to find out if we gave people a reason to come downtown, would they, and would they come after 5 p.m.? Well, 40,000 people did. Um, We sent out a survey and had a QR code after each light show, and we asked, if you came downtown, did you go shopping? Did you go out to eat? Did you go out for cocktails? And we calculated about a $2.2 million economic impact. So we're very excited to bring back Let's Glow this year, um, December 2nd through the 11th, um, which will be on One Bush, uh, the Stock Exchange, uh, the corner of Commercial and Leidestorf, and the historic Hobart building. But we knew doing pilots wasn't enough. We needed to have a strategic plan um, in front of us to guide us. What could we do in the public realm to make downtown San Francisco reimagined and more meaningful, not only to the workforce, but how do we market and create a new destination to our own downtown or to our own San Francisco residents um, and folks throughout the Bay Area? Um, this is why we brought on uh, Laura Cresimano, principal of Sight Lab, Um, to come up with a very comprehensive 150-page public realm action plan, um, which is on our website at downtownsf.org. So without further ado, I'll turn it over to Laura.
2: Thanks, Robbie. Um, So I'm Laura Cressimano, founder of SiteLab Urban Studio. We are a studio of about 20 urban designers, architects, landscape architects, based in San Francisco. Um, and we work really uh, across a scale of projects. We work on large scale plans like the Fifth and Mission project, which just opened its first phase in a public park at Fifth and Mission, to um, work for Google on going from an office, traditional office park, to a mixed use neighborhood um, environment, and particularly on public realms and how we bring together um, all of the parts that make cities you know, places we want to be and, uh, that we know and love. And so we were, uh, personally invested, I would say in engaging with Robbie and his team, um, on downtown and what the future is here downtown. I think we, we've all seen the ways in which neighborhoods have thrived and we've seen a return to the neighborhood, Um, And at the same time, downtown has a different role. It is a center of gravity. All roads lead to downtown. It's a job center um, where we have capacity for, you know, over 200,000 jobs. And so it also is a historic hub, right? And with, as Robbie mentioned, all these layers of history. So there are these bones here that we want to think about what is its next life. It's been through actually many lives in San Francisco. We all know the impact of the pandemic, um, that you know trips the trips to downtown have, have, have gone down we 've seen them creeping back up, particularly for work, although in a different format than maybe we saw before. Um, but downtown also used to serve for tourism and for as a social destination and a shopping destination, and those trips have also taken a hit. and so we 've been thinking about what, is, what does it mean, as Robbie said, to think about this next. Era of downtown. We did a lot of research and we asked people. So we had a survey to the public with um, nearly 900 responses, as well as on the ground observations and intercept surveys and other research. And one of the interesting things to us was we asked people what they would want to see, what would make them come back to downtown or return to downtown more. Um, And one of the interesting things to me is. Clearly, we know that there are sentiments both real and perhaps perceived about cleanliness and safety. But interestingly, we put on the list the resolution of COVID. Would that be the thing that would make you come to work more? And it was nearly last on the list. <laughs> um, and in fact, people wanted to see more like a a kind of liveliness to downtown, more green, more uh, restaurants, more gathering places, more art, more events, right? Um, A greater social purpose to downtown. And so a lot of this work, and I should note, as Robbie did, that this is not the answer to all things for downtown or for the city of San Francisco. This is, we are coming at it from one perspective, which is the public realm, to start to plant seeds, really, for a different way of looking at our city and our downtown. And so, how can downtown be more of a social destination? And that social destination is for workers to have more reasons to come down to the office. It's a choice to come to the office now for many workers, not all, but for many. Um, but also, families. That, that test case of let's glow would you come at night, right? What, what are the reasons to come at night, or stay after work, um, or come on a weekend? So, this is an image that's really an illustration and provocation of actually a location at Commercial and Leidsdorf um, where Let's Glow will be happening. Um, But it is really representative of a whole, you know, fabric that we have to work with. And in this case, actually, there are no public parks in this district. There are privately owned public spaces, plazas, and they are the streets that make up. 30% of the land is streets and alleys. Um, And in particular, there's this great alley fabric. So we are looking at how do we reconsider that? Part of this uh, plan is to say we need to move, off from, from move from one-offs to campaigns, and so how do we get more people together? And think of this really as a public and private endeavor that we do together, from improving those public, privately owned public spaces to just literally planting more trees, having you know, more green to make this uh, more compelling to walk down the street. And then we also did quite a bit of work in saying, where would we have the most impact? So we identified a series of locations, and you can see the first one here, Action Area A, as commercial in Leidsdorf, as places where we see a combination of a lot of the ingredients that could be great hubs, um, great moments in downtown. So those have, whether it's they have active restaurants, they have public spaces, they have kind of cool historic buildings, different They also have potentially investment, already planned projects by the city. And so how do we bring that all together for impact? And then this example, uh, Commercial and leidsdorf, This is where we're starting. Actually, we're moving from that broader plan to uh, our first pilot um, from that plan, Action Area A, at Commercial and Leidsdorf. And here you can actually see um, in that image that the historic coastline of San Francisco did run through this area. And those, you may see those little black kind of dots are buried ships. So there's a really interesting story here as well as restaurants and kind of current life. And we're hoping to see even more future life with San Francisco vendors and artists. Um, So this is an image of that alleyway and a historic building there that we think is just calling out for (laughs) kind of art and reconception. Um, And we are doing this as a coordinated effort with the Downtown SF Partnership as well as um, the city and the mayor's office in terms of being a pilot. So essentially, this is not a one-off. This is actually setting up a model so that this can then be uh, this idea of activity hubs can be catalyzed around the downtown to start to seed from the ground up with local business owners that kind of energy in the public realm that might compel people Um, to rethink downtown and to come, whether it is for work or to bring your family um, on a weekend and evening. So I'm looking forward to the conversation. And with that, I will hand it back to Kevin.
1: Awesome. Thank you so much, Laura. And I'm going to bring up uh, Mm -hmm. Kate Sophis of the Office of Economic and Workforce Development. Um, uh, As as Laura mentioned, uh, the city, maybe you can, Kate, maybe you can just talk a little bit about your reactions or your Uh, Thoughts on this public realm action plan and what it could really do to transform some of these areas we're talking about.
3: Sure. Um, Thanks for having me. So um, uh, I'm uh, head of the Office of Economic and Workforce Development, which in normal times focuses on helping uh, businesses who are here grow, helping people secure employment. And so in the context of all of that work and, and our response in the last few years to COVID, Um, It is really an amazing moment in time where we will continue to do all of that, but really, I think, have come together with community, uh, with our mayor, uh, to to deeply understand both the the crisis, but also the opportunity we have right now to really um, literally fill our vacancies um, in our economic core with new kinds of businesses, new kinds of activities. And of course, all of that sits within the public realm. Uh, So I think from where we are um, and our mayor uh, shares this vision, we wholeheartedly agree that it is this, this moment in time that we actually have to refill our economic core with what what we maybe thought, hmm, you know, that was kind of missing, you know? And and I can speak to my own personal narrative. I've been in the city now for almost 30 years. My kids are, my teenage kids are born and raised here. We still live here. And one of the things that drew me and so many people I know to San Francisco was our creative culture, this place where you could come from a city like Buffalo, New York, where I grew up, where there wasn't a lot of economic opportunity, uh, where my parents, who were symphony musicians, were struggling economically to make it work. And then here was San Francisco, this beacon of tolerance, this place where you could come and try new things, whether it's um, new things in technology or new things in the arts. So I think it is it is a critical moment, but also an exciting moment, where we can um, seize the opportunity to create Uh, new kinds of experiences in our economic core. And there's both uh, sort of the the landscaping and the hardscaping, but there's also the programming. So a lot of what um, our office is doing in partnership with the Downtown Partnership is looking at how we can take some city investment to help more arts organizations have opportunities to either have pop-up performances or installations or live music, Or even how we can look at retail vacancies, uh, restaurant vacancies as well on the ground floor. And again, as we are trying to have more dining experiences and more artistic experiences, how we can both have short-term pop-up programming as well as look for um, longer-term tenants in those spaces. I do want to say when I speak about and use the word economic core, and this is something we've been sort of trying to find the right language When we at the city are looking at our recovery, we really have looked at a number of, let's call them zones, that make up um, these parts of our city, the greater downtown, if you will, that have historically housed so many of our jobs and our destination retail. So we think of it, including the financial district, but we are also looking at, I think, you know, Robbie, you had it on your map, uh, south of Market and Union Square, and really how, and, and down to Mission Bay, how these three areas really work together. So as I sort of respond to questions, I'm really always going to be thinking about downtown proper, but also how it relates to these areas immediately uh, around it.
1: So I want to bring up our, our final guest, uh, Wade Rose, here from Advance SF.
4: My is pretty good here.
1: <laughs> Impeccable. Hi. Uh, Good morning, Wade. It's
4: raining in Marin. Big time. (laughs) Here I am.
1: Um, Wade, maybe you can just give a little bit of background on Advance SF itself and and kind of what role you're trying to have it play in the revival of what we're talking about, the downtown core.
4: Thanks, Kevin. So Advance San Francisco is a uh, grew out of a organization that's been around for maybe 40 years, which represents the uh, interests of the larger employers in San Francisco. And a few years ago, there was uh, an internal discussion about whether the typical way of representing interests of the business community, which primarily concerned tax, uh, tax policy and regulatory issues, was sufficient to uh, really represent the interest of the business community, and the determination was that it wasn't, and that we needed to, as a community, be concerned about the broad width of issues in San Francisco. So we changed, and uh, in January, rolled out Advanced San Francisco. It's chaired by Larry Bear and uh, a person named Lloyd Dean. Larry, of course, is head of the Giants, Lloyd is head of uh, Dignity Health, which is a 140 hospital, a company which was uh, headquartered here in San Francisco since 1856. And what we are uh, interested in is the, 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 essentially the quality of life in San Francisco, because it has so much to do b- about the ability of businesses uh, and for the economy to prosper here in the city. So we have three main concerns. One is safe and clean streets goes to crime and street behavior. We are concerned about the affordability uh, issues in San Francisco because it is literally the most expensive city in the country to live and work in. And we are uh, very concerned about economic viability, which is the issue which all of us are working together on has to do with the uh, viability of the business district at the moment, but uh, with the viability of business uh, overall in San Francisco. So we are engage with Kate and others, and Robbie especially, on working on these issues that you see here behind you to uh, essentially uh, repopulate the downtown area, because we've lost approximately, you may have discussed it, and if I'm you know repeating myself, uh, repeating what you said, I apologize, but Roughly 300,000 people per day, less than what what we were experiencing in in, uh, 2019. Uh, That's a lot of people. That's a lot of transactions which support middle-income jobs. Uh, The ramifications of that population uh, leaving San Francisco, literally in a month, 90% of all office workers left uh, in uh, March 2020. Um, is is gigantic and huge so that's one of the reasons we're all here talking about how do we build a new future for the city
1: um, well i want to touch on the public realm action plan first um, 150 page report i think 143 <laughs> one of the people who read through it thank you. Um, <laughs> So, you know, as part of that report, you talk about turning downtown to more of a pedestrian friendly zone. You, you mentioned some aspects that make it already pedestrian friendly. The fact that it's one of the flatter neighborhoods in the city, for example. Um, but you also uh, note that what is necessary to do that is temp- a lot of temporary and pot- potentially permanent street closures. Uh, Now now that we have both the public and private here on stage, what are you doing to kind of cut the red tape, streamline that process? I mean, we're already starting to see some of the issues that are coming when shared spaces are having to kind of move into this permanent uh, phase. So how are we going to try to balance those concerns and and make it easier to to make some of these actual pilots happen? Mm -hmm. Um, I'll go ahead and start.
0: Um, so in in our plan, you know, we actually call it street openings um, <laughs> because we're opening the street uh, to pedestrians and visitors and, and workers alike. And um, you know, we we are very thankful that um, the city stepped up, you know, during the the pandemic and actually brought out shared spaces. I think as community groups, we've been waiting for a permit process like shared spaces, and it just provides um, a, a great foundation for any nonprofit, any community group to. Um, close down a street to have a, uh, an activation, a festival, a block party. Um, And, you know, as an active user of shared spaces, it's just been, you know, wonderful for us to use. Um, As, as Laura mentioned, you know, 36% of our, our streets in downtown, um, you know, is, is our, you know, or our streets. Um, And I think that just leaves a huge opportunity to identify which streets, which alleys, which, you know, um, areas in the uh, in the economic core, we can actually turn over to pedestrian activity. Um, And and the public realm plan, you know, is 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 a wide scope. And we're looking at, you know, all kinds of of activation, anything from new seating and greenery and art um, to other festivals and block parties. Um, We're also looking at vacant spaces You know, the vacancy rate here in San Francisco uh, is continuing to be an issue and climbing. Um, So the public realm action plan does address how do we re-energize the ground floor um, and also use the streets in front of those ground floor spaces as sort of a co-activation space.
3: Well, I might be able to just jump in from the the public side of the house. Uh, You know, I think shared spaces is actually a great example of what is possible Mm -hmm. if um, the city is both being very focused on cutting through red tape on behalf of the private sector, but also, importantly, if we're doing it in partnership with the private sector. In fact, people have said to me who haven't been to San Francisco in a while, and we are actually starting to see a decent uptick in the return of tourism, Uh, still not where we want to be, but we're at 70-80%, which is a lot better, actually, than where we have been lingering in the 40- 50% range with return to office. But what people say is having all of these shared spaces for outdoor dining, while it was a response to a crisis, turns out now that we have completely uh, re-challenged the idea that San Francisco is not an an outdoor city. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's a wonderful thing. And, And that crisis forced the city to have to work much more quickly and uh, collaboratively across departments. So shared spaces, again, is one example. uh, We have a cross-departmental team that is then in partnership working with the Golden Gate Restaurant Association, our CBDs, um, even as we make those spaces permanent. And so these cross-departmental teams, which include the Department of Public Works, the fire department, my office, et cetera, I think has been a really important teachable moment for the city. Um, and, and that is really the, the same principle that we are now trying to apply to other kinds of activations. So very much around... Um, how do we uh, stand up now? A very similar approach for temporary activations, whether it's a pop up inside a, an actual built environment like a retail space, mm-hmm. or it's a um, pop up arts installation like Let's Glow. We were just talking about a. Uh, I love how you're saying it, a street opening, yeah. a, a street, street opening, a street opening. invitation. <laughs> invitation right? uh, we have piloted other, other things like first year free citywide. We have. Prop H, which has allowed us to expedite permitting for small businesses across the city. So I think we're really going to be trying to take those learnings and and apply them directly now in, into the economic core.
1: So, wait, I want to touch on on something with with you. You know, these sorts of activations really benefit from uh, wide ranging corporate and philanthropic support. Mm-hmm. Um, but the activity we're seeing from a lot of business leaders is not necessarily really sticking and claim. It's leaving the city and often with a proverbial middle finger on the way out. <laughs> I mean, what are we trying you speak from the corporate perspective on sure. how you're trying to get these people to you know, really make a stake, a claim and invest in what the future of the city can be when they were, in a lot of cases, the beneficiaries of this last boom.
4: There's a larger group of uh, companies and company leaders who are staying and want to see San Francisco built up then are leaving. And this plan here is exactly what we're looking for. We're looking for a, a set of activities which will grow the streets so that it is attractive not only to you know, residents on the west side or you know, tourists, but also employees. The companies we've been dealing with are uh, very supportive and actively seeking just this type of activity because it, it helps them convince employees to come back because there's something to come back to. It's You have to treat employees as visitors. And the the, the environment which they step into outside of their office environment is as important as the office environment. Uh, so to the extent that we can... Redesign San Francisco so it's, it's not such a monocrop of uh, offices, but it's offices plus homes plus parks plus bars plus clubs plus museums. That that is an environment which make it much more easy for businesses to decide to remain here or come here because that's what will help them attract and employ employees.
1: Well, I want to touch on that because a topic on the top of mind for a lot of the general public and a couple of the questions that have already come up is this idea of conversion. A lot of the um, focus has been on office to residential conversion. Mm -hmm. Um, But I'm kind of curious, should we be broadening our definition of what a successful conversion is? You know, we look at all this empty office space and automatically think housing. But are there other sort of commercial uses that can be used? In some of these empty spaces, i can uh, i 'll throw it out to the panel.
4: well, let me just quickly grab on that because we 've we 've all talked about this, yes, and a big deal will be art, such as what we 're doing here in Leedsdorf, to the extent that we can uh, expand san francisco 's art experience is will make it uh, hugely attractive to people to engage in. San Francisco used to have an arts district, it was very well known especially for its uh, expressionism back in the uh, 50s and 60s and into the 70s. And we need to reinvigorate that down in the downtown area, in fact, identify a place which could be an arts district. But in order to do that, you need affordable studio space, right? So New York is starting to do that. Companies are making space available for free or a nominal dollar a year for artists to come in and utilize it. Uh, very similar to what Oakland did. And very successful. So the building up of the art uh, community in San Francisco is very important to that. Just what you kept talking about, Kevin. Just the much more uh, diversified reuse of the space.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And I would add to that that I think, in the same way that Wade spoke about drawing an employee or a worker back downtown, like the the benefit is that these things that we're talking about art and culture, and you know pedestrian friendly streets draw people, right? Right. We are talking about appealing to the human experience and that that applies to whether it's adding housing and converting to housing or diversifying or entertainment, which I think is another conversation. Arts, culture and entertainment, because we have particularly north of market in the district, it is predominantly office, which actually makes it conducive to different kinds of entertainment and other uses because you don't have potentially that kind of conflict with residential or neighborhoods. So I think there are a lot of questions. And from our side, we're trying to plant those seeds to say who who kind of grabs on to see, to see the opportunity here.
3: I mean, I think the point you make, which is a really important one, that if entertainment as an example, and I, I personally do think that there's great potential for more entertainment, more nighttime vibrancy, more music... But that runs right up against residential if you're literally putting it in the same block. So in some ways, I see, again, with the broader core, the financial district as a real opportunity to bring in some of these other uses that will do better because there isn't the density of residential in the financial district proper. I do want to sort of maybe provocatively say that. We actually have built a lot of new residential immediately adjacent to the financial district in the south of market area in Mission Bay. And it's, I think, very important to recognize that when we compare our our downtown or our economic core to other major cities, whether we're looking at L.A. or we're looking at Manhattan, the scale is very different. We are a very compact Mm. place. And so. I I would push back a bit on the notion that the highest and best use of many of our office buildings is conversion to residential. From what we are seeing and what we are uh, having conversations with with building owners, I want to challenge that there are many shades of gray of commercial use in the upper floors of these buildings. For some of the oldest buildings that are really going to prove themselves difficult to reimagine to the way that modern workers want to interact, we were we will and are actually looking at what I would call strategic conversions of some of those. But what we are also hearing is it's not that people don't want to come into work anymore. It's the experience when they come into work, both on the ground but actually in their work environment needs to justify them coming in. So that means More spaces for collaboration, more team space, less cubicles and individual offices, and also smaller companies. So, you know, what we're seeing is larger companies shrinking their footprint. They're not all leaving, but they're right-sizing to the amount of space they need. So we are looking at opportunities to help buildings on the upper floors. Um, reimagine space make smaller spaces we are also starting to see pricing come down in our economic core which is a good thing in the sense that allows us to recruit more diverse kinds of businesses from different sectors and expanding the kinds of sectors that we are hosting um, here in our in our downtown is an important part of the work that that our office is also undertaking the last thing I will say Right before I came to the city a year and a half ago, I had come from running another nonprofit uh, called SF Made, that supports manufacturing. Envisioning upper floors of buildings, they can have artists, they can have manufacturing. Actually, I usually wear my Shinola watch, which mm-hmm. was built on the sixth floor of an office building, a former office building in Detroit. Um, educational uses life science, any of these things are possible, actually, on the upper floors of our office buildings. And our zoning is already very permissible in our downtown to allow any of these uses. Mm
1: -hmm. Um, I'm actually going to go to an audience question. because I think this is one one is really interesting. And, you know, I I kind of, in my intro, I talked a little bit about kind of the us against them mentality that can um, arise when we talk about downtown versus the neighborhoods. But somebody in the audience posed the question, is that an old way of, of thinking? Is centralization kind of the way of the past, particularly as these work patterns have changed and folks are doing more economic activity where they live. Um, You know, is there a decentralized model or should we be thinking about um, kind of spreading out that economic activity across the city rather than sort of thinking about the downtown core as what it was in the era past? I'll I'll jump in with that one and say, and say, yes, the, the,
0: the narrative of downtown versus the neighborhood here in San Francisco, uh, needs to end Mm -hmm. you know for us to be successful as one city moving forward together um down we have to think of our downtown as as your neighborhood too imagine your downtown neighborhood becoming your destination for arts and culture your destination for nightlife and entertainment your destination for for dining and and you know we can do this you know together and changing that narrative and perception Um, concurrently with our public realm action plan we've also uh as an organization rebranded so we used to be called the downtown community benefit district now we're called the downtown partnership you know to really reflect of the the work that we do and how we do it together but once let's glow is is over you'll start to see new signage uh in the public realm that actually drops um financial district and fidei Um, from our naming conventions, and just focuses on downtown and, again, telling um, that layered history. And I think, you know, um, coming up with uh, or moving away from, you know, being called a financial district in FIDI, I think automatically you think, you know, nine to five, you know, banks, financial institutions, people in suits. But that's not downtown San Francisco, and that's not what I think downtown, your downtown San Francisco should be.
4: Yeah, I'd like I... to say that just, just quickly, that the idea of downtown being somehow not San Francisco is ridiculous. It's the, the business district downtown, is, oh, it's always been the heart of San Francisco. What happened recently is this tremendous boom of the uh, digital economy kind of muffled that perspective or buffered or shattered it somehow. Um, and now we can we have an opportunity to reengage. Um uh, I remember coming up here uh, you know grew up in a little town called Carmel, south of here and um when you were coming to san francisco after especially as a kid, after your parents took you to the zoo, they took you down to Union Square, and that was the center of town. All this stuff was there to engage in, whether it was gumps and it's crazy little rooms, if you'll remember that, which you could explore, or, boy, a whole bunch of other stores that no longer exist, but downtown or the the business district, however you want to explain it, is everybody's. And it needs to be, we need to remind folks of that.
2: I also want to put that a little bit in a longer kind of historic perspective, which is that the reason we have cities, right? Cities are for shared resources, right? This is like the history history cities are coming together for shared resources. And then downtown is almost like the further nesting of the concentration of resources. Um, And in the downtown, it is, like, as as I mentioned, this, you know, all roads leave there. That is where, like, the biggest concentration of transit is. It is probably the most walkable place in the Bay Area. So there are all these things that have been designed into making downtown have a particular opportunity and capacity to serve the city and be that kind of concentration. And I think what we're talking about is actually creating that experience that you do feel the sharing of those resources and what those resources are, our culture, our connection. It's a show, social experience and not just an economic one. And I think that that is built into the fabric of the city. And I, and we have had really, I think it's more of a you know, with industrialization, there was this idea of you put you put work in one place and you put living in another place, mm-hmm. and you segregate all these things. And so, I think we are, you know, maybe a little delayed in coming out of that
3: to rethink that integration in our downtown. But it's not it's not a binary. Now all the work happens in the in the neighborhoods versus downtown Mm -hmm. i think that's also important to state we have this city deliberately limited our commercial space production uh, prop m as it's called for many many years there is no other place in the city that can hold this concentration when people do choose to come out of their homes and to come to an event like if this event how many of you took transit here or came from outside of the city How many of you would have still come to this event if I told you this event is going to be in the outer Richmond in a residential area? So we serve a regional role, too. Mm -hmm. And I think we cannot forget that we serve a regional role as an economic driver. And I have to wear, again, my city hat, the tax basis of this this city, you know, the services, the more clean and safe our police officers that we're in the middle of trying to dramatically increase Mm -hmm. um, what has been a real shortfall. All of that gets funded through tax revenue. um, And we cannot, the way our tax system works, it's very much based on places where people actually work. Virtual doesn't pay tax the same way.
1: Well, I want to touch on that. So we talk a lot about the conversion thing. And, and I've heard some of our observers say that, let's say we, we do convert all the housing that's possible, 20 to 30 percent of the current commercial um, office stock. Um, how, does that handcuff in a way it, our, our ability to thrive as an economy? Because basically our entire budget is sort of focused and centered around the idea of a downtown as the central economic driver of the of the city.
4: Well, yes. the downtown <laughs> produces roughly 75% of the city's GDP. Mm-hmm. It's it is a massive uh, economic machine which makes roads possible, cl- clean water possible, uh increasing these schools possible. So it in order for the city to prosper, the 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 business district, the downtown area, the, the you know center of the city Absolutely has to prosper; otherwise, the effects will be, will uh, be negative effects spread throughout the rest of the community, which we do not want. Now, that said, we still have to adopt the current times, and we have to figure out how to pull that off in a way which meets you know, modern expectations and what's possible within the economy. Um, when the recession hit 12 years ago, we got together and figured out some policies which would attract private investment, which would meet the uh, economic concerns that grew then after the city had laid off 1,400 people and the tax revenues had declined, up, in some instances, up to 40%. You know, the city was in a bad place. The Federal bailout money this time prevented that same experience even though the decline in economic activity was more severe than 12 years ago. But in any case, the idea was to attract the uh, digital world to come in and, and, and locate and expand in San Francisco. And it was phenomenally successful. It was too successful in many ways. And it, there was concerns about it. But it was also, we initiated a boom and bust cycle. And we're on the bust side of that boom and bust cycle. So we have to re-engage but re-engage in a way which continues with the viability and vitality of the city, but perhaps in more balance than it uh, previously was.
1: Um, so, yeah, I think I think Kate, uh, I, I've heard you speak before in the past about attracting these new industries. Whatever this next um, chapter of the city's economic uh, development will be, whether that's green technology or you know biotech or, or, or something like that, things that hardware companies, things that have to kind of be centered in a physical location uh, rather than software. Um, I mean, that sounds great. I I wish we could just bring all those people in, but there's a wide gulf between saying that and and actually making that happen. You know, when I was talking to a lot of companies in the pre-pandemic era, they had three problems. That was cost, cost, cost. And I guess what are the levers the city can pull to actually, or policy ideas, are there tax incentives, are there ways to actually bring these new industries in?
3: Well, what I, what I will say is nothing is off the table right now. And I think that's a very different place, um, certainly for me as a citizen, looking in from the outside uh, of where we have been historically. I think there is a clear recognition um, at the city that uh, we have benefited from the vibrancy of our business sector. We have um, taxed. Mm-hmm. Significantly. A um, whole bunch. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, the private sector uh, to support a lot of what you know, we are so known for in terms of all the community support and nonprofits and all the other things that we're very proud of. But we recognize this is a pivotal moment where we actually need to fight for every individual business to both stay here or come here. And so that said, and, and sort of, again, with my roots coming from a very different kind of a city that always has struggled economically, at least as long as I've been alive, um, our team is, is doing exactly that. But it is, you're correct, there's no silver, you know, wand of we're going to create the Twitter tax break and suddenly refill the economic core with climate tech companies. But what I would posit is... We need to understand, and we are actually undertaking right now um, a pretty deep dive in partnership with the Bay Area Council and KPMG, the chamber as well as well as Advanced SF, to really understand what this city's particular sustainable competitive advantages are. In my perspective, we are not a place to come for folks that don't have a pretty high-end value proposition in the work that they're the business that they are trying to do and so that means if you're a retailer uh, sure we have some luxury brands and i'm proud of the fact we still do have some luxury brands but we need to look at retailers now who want to be here because they have some hybrid of retail and experiential and maybe they're also doing design and manufacturing locally to create something really unique When we look at our um, office users, we need to look at um, advanced manufacturers that need to be here physically, but that actually might um, be open to being in a downtown location because our industrial stock, believe it or not, has almost no vacancy right now. We actually have quietly been building this whole network of small design prototyping firms across life science, across climate tech. Uh, climate tech and green, um, as well as consumer products. And when we look at small um, office users, again, they're going to have to justify why they would want to be here. As an example, we're right now recruiting a company from Australia that has a whole new software technology that allows cities, among others, to do 3D representations of what you might have looked here uh, as a 2D model. Um, They want to be here because they want to be around uh, city governments um, on the West Coast that can sort of absorb the idea of technology more quickly than other kinds of cities in the U.S. So I think it's really going to come down to our core competitive advantages versus other very expensive places. The last thing I will say, though, is housing, 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 right? There is clearly a recognized um, significant shortfall in housing in this city. Um, We clearly have to do better as a city, um, public and private, at actually moving forward and building housing. But I also think there is a recognition now that we have to look regionally as well. We are not, even if we could immediately unstick projects that have become stuck, whether in entitlement or for political reasons, and get that forward. The key for me is also looking at the region and improving our public transit and our connectivity and connectivity into places where people are living so that we start to you know, act more like a Manhattan in the context of the five boroughs, mm-hmm. as opposed to trying to solve for everything within the seven by seven limits of the city. So regionalism, I think, is is another important part.
1: So, yeah, that, that's part of the kind of the larger, broader vision of, of what can happen. I think right now we have a lot of small businesses in downtown that, that are struggling. And, you know, uh, I think there's recognition from the city and from the city's budget office that hybrid work is, is here to stay. And I guess my question is, you know, I talk to a lot of these, these pizzeria owners or, or what have you, and they're like, from day to day, my business is not um, stable. I, I, could, I could be normal one day and then be completely empty the next, is there a way to structure hybrid work in a way to actually create more stability for these businesses and for the city's economic health? Uh, some, you know, create a benchmark to build on rather than just having these sort of wild swings on on a day to day basis.
4: Well, it's it's an interesting issue. We had a previous meeting in April and a, a person was addressing was concerned that companies were not making employees come back. So he turned to a person across the table and said, you have to make your employees come back, and the other person turned to him and said, "That boat sailed," which means the the business models have changed, and and they're not going to change back, and it's because uh, companies, especially in the digital realm, found out that their employees could work from home and they really didn't miss a beat on productivity. Mm-hmm. In fact, they made a pretty good, sizable income from reducing their operating expenses. Uh, And that just the light bulb went off, which is we can do this. Now, the question is, there are other factors which come into play, such as uh, uh, friends and partnerships and culture within a company experience and experience of the broader quality of life when you're outside of the office. So it looks like three days a week. Roughly Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, with Friday and Saturday being flexible. Um, there are variations within that, but it's not going to be what it was. So I think we're a few years away of, from understanding really what the pattern is going to be. And, then, and the problem with that is, is the transactions people who work in offices engaged with, engage in when they leave the office. And they go to lunch, or they come in early for breakfast, or they go to a store. And that's why I come back to the issue of repopulation because that the health, the economic health those transactions provide for the city are really based on numbers, not necessarily only office workers, hmm. right? So we really we need to change this area so that it's, it's much more populated, which much more diverse uh, set of undertakings uh, people wh- why people are in downtown.
0: Hmm. Um, you know the kind of piggyback off of that is. There, there's no question our, our small businesses and our restaurants have held on for, for dear life. Right. But they're not. I want to be clear. They're not done fighting yet. And, you know, to Wade's point, they're operating what they normally would operate, you know, five days a week. They're operating Tuesdays, Wednesdays and Thursdays, three out of, out of five, three out of seven days a week, which is not sustainable for uh, any restaurant in town. Um, and then you add the difficulty with hiring. The uh, ridiculous inflation, just costs of doing business, the math just doesn't work out. Um, so, what I go back to is doing what we can, can we can do, um, you know, in the public realm, and how do we diversify, you know, that portfolio? Mondays, Fridays, after five p.m. I think San Francisco. I don't know the time frame, but could become a 24-hour, a you know, downtown if we wanted to, right? But we have to work at that. Um, a way to diversify our portfolio is, and, and I believe that there are BIPOC-owned businesses that have just been completely priced out of being able to operate in downtown for, for decades. And we now have uh, a wide range of uh, vacancies, um, on the ground floor on second and third floor that I think are prime to open those doors to people that have been completely closed off before. Um, I know my, my team is committed. I'm committed, um, in, in a new campaign, um, after the holidays, um, we're calling it pop into downtown. Um, and I'm actually, uh, talking to, um, a uh, arts and culture institution this week and talking to a property owner and just, again, having a casual conversation and saying, you know, this, this space uh, has been vacant for three years. Uh, It's probably going to be vacant for a little bit longer. Why don't you give me that space for six to nine months? Let me put somebody in there who can operate um, as a pop-up. Maybe we can provide some grant money, you know, for them to do so. You can market the space as something, you know, different to a potential tenant um, and give that, um, you know, that small business, that museum, that arts and culture institution just an opportunity that they never had before.
1: So I'm going to address one of the elephants in the room because uh, I'm getting a lot of questions about this. You know, we're talking about downtown. We're talking about the economic core being 24 hour city, 24 uh, hour type of neighborhood. Um, you know, one of the barriers to that is what people have been bringing up, public safety issues, homelessness, um, some of the, the crime issues. Um, And it's clear that that will need to be addressed or improved if we're going to actually make these things happen. And what is the actual um, pathway to that? I know the mayor recently put in uh, more money for community ambassadors, but it seems like we need a a larger strategy to kind of deal with this. If this is the way that we're going to think about this neighborhood going forward.
4: I'd just say from our perspective, it's the number one issue and we're not going to be able to get at the good stuff. Until this issue is managed, and I mean, you know, you choose your numbers. I think Washington D.C. has sixty police per ten thousand. New York fifty-two. San Francisco has seventeen. It it doesn't work that way. It it that level of uh, perception of safety and security uh, doesn't reduce anxiety on the streets. And there's too many stories of people being afraid to come to plays at night, Uh, people who are nervous about their experience during the day in Union Square, people running into people smoking crack in front of City Hall. Um, It just can't it can't continue if the goal is to restabilize San Francisco. That includes the issue of sufficient mental health services. There's been some expansion of that recently, but it's it's not enough. So, and there's possibilities doing more, but it's it's a obviously it's a, almost a fifty year issue now. Um, started with Mayor Agnos trying to tackle it, uh, and. It's very controversial, you know, lots of opinions, but in the, at the end of the day, people have to, in general, perceive the are, that the streets are safe. And because of that, they have there is no second thought or compunction about uh, coming in into the heart of the city.
3: So I would offer it's it's sort of a multi-pronged strategy now. Right. So I think uh, recognizing and you know, certainly from where we sit at the city, we recognize that, you know, here I am running a department called economic development. Right. But a lot of the um, welcome ambassadors that we've talked about, both in the economic core that work in partnership with some of the CBD's ambassadors, as well as Urban Alchemy, which works in the Civic Center and Tenderloin and Midmarket, um, my department, supports those contracts that funds those folks so so i am much more deep into to clean and safe than i ever thought it would be when i took this job (laughs) Um, here's a couple things i'll offer so the first is having people come repopulate our downtown come to a lecture go to the theater go to work come downtown to check out some cool performance that's actually part of the solution. And this is not to make excuses, but it is to say that many US downtowns are struggling with the very similar dynamic. It's just that we're very compact. So if you go to Las Vegas, for example, you go to the Strip, it feels great on the Strip, right? You go two blocks off of that Strip, Scary. the concentration of open air drug use and homelessness and street behaviors. Is staggering. It it makes us look tame by comparison. If you go to Chicago, um, Chicago right now is currently experiencing a a tremendously scary wave of um, murders and um, assaults happening on their street. So a lot of major US cities are struggling with stuff, but we are unique in that we're all kind of on top of each other. We have the Tenderloin, and it's right next to Union Square, and it's right next to our financial district, and it's right across from our south of market. So what are we doing about it, and how are we tracking progress? So the first is absolutely um, actively recruiting um, folks into our police academies. That is the key right now. We actually do have more budget in our budget, and I expect that with the next budget, we will continue to support budget for PD, but we now actually need to play catch up by filling more folks into the police academies, and that's part of my workforce development capacity is to try to recruit those folks. The second thing that's going on are these ambassadors, and ambassadors are not, people say, well, what's the end game here? Like, How many more ambassadors can you put onto the street? It really isn't about putting more ambassadors out there and just moving people around pushing people around but the reality is right now we sort of need to to hold the beachhead if you will so the purpose of more ambassadors is to provide more safety and evenings you know it's time's going to change next weekend and it's going to be dark earlier and it's the holiday shopping season and we want you all to come here and spend your money and enjoy your your holidays here so um, we have seen success already with our ambassadors when we have Moscone Center events. We basically line the streets around Moscone and provide safe passage from hotels to the to the convention center. We've actually been providing now support um, all the way into the evening around the major theaters, so the Golden Gate, the Orpheum, to, uh, to provide more of a sense of safety in the evening. So ambassadors can be eyes and ears. And one of the important parts of this most recent announcement from the mayor is that we are now going to be having ambassadors go down into the major transit stations. So on my way here came from Civic Center. There was some stuff going on. PD was down in there and taking care of that. So it's been really, again, this collaboration where we now have Bart and Muni and my office and PD actively working, I think, is the key. And then the last part is more of the centralization of our services to help people in distress. And uh, part of the announcement last week is our Department of Emergency Management, which is where the 911 calls come in, is now actually going to take on a a coordination role of of all of our outreach services. So our homeless outreach, our uh, public health response. And I think that coordination is essential because we aren't always coordinated. And I think that all of that has to work together while we also get more of you and more of me and more of you to spend more time doing wonderful things in our core so it kind of has to work together
0: i i appreciate the question um because without doing you know the public space activation the beautification we we, we have to have the the space clean and safe first you know first and, and foremost and you know going back in time as i mentioned before as a community benefit district we formed again in in january 2020 the pandemic hit virtually uh, every ground floor space um was completely boarded up um, broken glass everywhere and you would see graffiti that would span whole sides of buildings and walls and that was my first job um was just cleaning up downtown um and uh, we rolled up our sleeves with a group of four ambassadors <laughs> at the time. Um, and it's, we spent about six to nine months as providing a or establishing a baseline level of, of cleanliness in downtown. Um, and, it, and it took a while because we wanted to prepare for when people came back. Because at the time, we lost 96% of our pedestrian um, activity in downtown. So all those cleanliness issues um, were completely exposed. Um, Last fiscal year, um, we spent uh, about $2.1 million um, on cleaning and safety efforts um, through our our property assessments. Um, And we've actually seen a dramatic um, decrease over the last six months, especially um, in in our downtown area. Um, We tracked about a 41% decrease in quality of life uh, issues, um, close to a 90% drop um, in graffiti. Um, Our rule of thumb is graffiti needs to be cleaned up in less than 24 hours. My rule, less than an hour. (laughs) The longer that uh, an issue is out on the street, it just breeds more blight. So we are very proactive in our cleaning and safety operations starting at uh, 6 a.m., you know, before business opens up for the day. Um, We also hire a nonprofit um, outreach group um, to go out and really provide that passionate care to those who are struggling on our streets and um, i'm really proud to say that we've reconnected 17 um, unhoused individuals on our streets um, with their long-lost family um, and friends it's it's pretty remarkable um, meeting somebody on our street and realizing that they've been on the same corner for 10 to 20 years um, i'll never forget my first experience doing street outreach and i met an individual um, same corner same corner living, panhandling and such. I just asked him for his name. How long has he been here? Where is he from? and he he was displaced um, in, from two thousand five um, because of Hurricane Katrina um, and came to San Francisco to find a safe haven and um, was still living on our street you know and, and so when we think about you know our our you know unhoused population you know we we very much take a very compassionate approach you know with our operations and that's certainly been
1: been been helping um, as well um, i'm going to take this question from the audience and then we're uh, getting to the end of our time S- somebody the person asked, can somebody address the the trend in commercial property tax revenue downward assessments and, I'm, I'll, and I'll, I'll kind of do the, the sort of second order question on that um, you know all these things we're talking about bringing in New types of folks, new types of industries sort of requires rents changing, costs changing, and it will require probably um, property tax or property values declining and property tax value declining, at least in the short term. And, yeah, I I feel like it took a while for the city to officially recognize (laughs) that hybrid work was here to stay. Um, And I'm kind of curious on, you know, what – is the recognition that maybe some of this short-term pain is necessary for a longer-term transformation and and where the city and where citizens can kind of play a role in helping ease that transition.
4: Well, it's starting with requests by commercial uh, property owners to reassess the value of their property. <clears throat> Similar situation happened 12 years ago. Mm-hmm. And the city uh, is actively considering uh, the feasibility and the and, and the, uh, you know, whether the requests warrant uh, attention. Um, likelihood, yes, there will be significant property devaluations as indicated by tax reassess, reassessments. How much that will be is unclear. Um, I think what is clear, even though murky, is that this process will take a few years. It's not going to just be, you know, at the end of uh, like the summer of 2023 twenty will have gone through that process. We might just be at the front end of that process. Um, but that's a dynamic which is, in a sense, outside of our control. And it's it's a market response uh, to a market condition. Uh, what we really have to focus on is, and again, when we start talking about repopulating downtown, it's, it's repurposing. It's, it's reimagining. It's, uh, it's creating a new uh, foundation of, of value which can support property valuations because the buildings just simply respond to demand, right? If there wasn't any demand, we wouldn't have the towers. Uh, people wanted to be here. So what is the demand which we feel is imperative in order to sustain the city's functioning. And that's, that's really the primary focus. Yes, there will be stories about devaluation. Hopefully, there will be stories about a decline in expense because literally San Francisco is the most expensive city in the country to do business. And now, as Kate suggested, there's a tremendous amount of competitive uh, localities throughout the rest of the country that are seeking folks in our city and asking them to move because of the, disc- the distance between San Francisco having trouble um, companies in the city recruiting at $300,000 a year for a young engineer because that person can't experience the lifestyle they would expect at $300,000 a year in San Francisco. But if you were in Columbus or Nashville or uh, Salt Lake City, they could experience the lifestyle they expect at that level for a salary of 80000 so there is a huge... Except their
3: symphony's not as good. Except the symphony's not as <laughs> so good, so go to Chicago. I know.
4: But so that's those are some of the issues. Yeah, they'll, they'll, we're, we're going to be wrestling with the value of the city, but the real focus is is on, uh, building it up.
3: I mean, look, it's, it's a it's a necessary thing, right? I, there, we understand certainly that... Um, as valuations, and and we don't have discretion as a city, by the way, in assess values. So the the whole process is state regulated, but someone, if someone can provide data that shows that their valuation has been changed, um, generally what these are, these are temporary um, reduced assessments that are tracked over time until uh, the market picks up again and, and the valuation returns to kind of where it was. So, and the advantage, if I can call it that, that the, 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 the silver lining to what is a moment that is dark for everyone, right, is if rents come down, then it gives me the tools that I need and tools that you need to get more different kinds of activities into these buildings, which then over time are what ultimately support valuations returning to a level that's acceptable so i see it as my role and our city's role and our mayor sees it as how can we shorten <laughs> this transition period so that we're dealing with years and not a decade of of transition so a lot of what i'm focused on in, in partnership with community is accelerating the transition if you will but recognizing that absolutely um, uh, valuations will and are adjusting, but so are prices and, right. and that can be a good thing um, in attracting new uses.
1: Um thank you for our audience for for the great questions. And we think we're heading to the end of our program here and I'll ask the guests one final question. Um you know how can audience members and people around the city monitor efforts in downtown San Francisco if things are getting better, if things are uh getting worse and and you personally what is something that makes you optimistic and excited about the potential for downtown uh, san francisco's future we can go from robbie and, and go down uh
0: certainly uh so we are actually launching a new destination website this week <laughs> knock on wood uh downtown and if you go onto our news section um we track um a lot of data about return to office and we have a reopening dashboard so um, if you're nerdy and want some data um, we have it on our website we're also going to have uh, an event page Um, That is going to list all kinds of uh, events and activations that um, community groups that we're working on together um, that you can see. And, you know, really makes me um, optimistic, especially personally, is um, just the fact that we're we're all coming together and asking the questions and Mm -hmm. and we're having this dialogue. That means we all care and we all love um, the city and, and, and we want to see it, you know, succeed and, and thrive. So, you know, for me personally, doing these, you know, presentations and panels and seeing all of you in the audience, can't see everybody at home, um, but I know you're there and I know you care. Um, and, you know, thank you for joining us.
2: Uh, on a similar note, I will say that publishing, you know, we, we started the Downtown Public Realm Action Plan um, about a year ago. And publishing it it wasn't clear to me what reaction we would get and one of the things that was very interesting and and kind of helped me feel uh, excited and optimistic about the future here is how many people came out of the woodwork to say oh i want to do something there uh, and they were almost looking for the opportunity and we created like uh, look at this location look at these locations look at these opportunities and whether it's arts groups or business owners or restaurateurs, it really has felt like there's this, like, I've been looking for a place to put my, my stamp here or my thing. And that kind of energy, um, instead of it being someone else's problem, it's actually like, Oh, this isn't, we, we all want to be doing, uh, things that we can, and doing them together that kind of draw for experience. And i also say from my team that the, experience when we are in the office together and the experience particularly of younger members of my team they want they they still want that like mentorship and connection that is what cities can bring us um so that makes me super optimistic um and excited to move into this next phase
3: i think for me you know when when i came here 30 years ago as a 20 something i came from somewhere else and and befriended a lot of other people like me who weren't from here But now as I sit here as as a mom and and have um, three kids who were born and raised here and one is about to head off to college and this narrative that we, I think, still are one of the major U.S. cities with the lowest number of um, youth under the age of 18. And the narrative was, oh, you come here, you do your cool tech thing and then you leave or you leave when it's time to have kids. The fact that I've got three kids here and they've grown up in the mission and they're, you know, they grew up knowing that you don't ride your big wheel into the pile of leaves under the tree because there (laughs) could be weird things under the leaves. Like, it's not that they accept the street conditions. They're aware of it and they know we're working and they know that mom's working, among others, to try to make it better. But um, they see their future here. You know, my older daughter wants to go to school in New York, and then she has this business idea, and she wants to come back and do it here. My younger daughter, who is autistic and has some intellectual disability, has this cool idea of uh, cooking and bowling and somehow all that combined, and she wants to do it here. Um, My son has his own thoughts, but the fact that we are raising now this next generation Mm -hmm. from here. And they see the warts and the issues, but they also see the potential. If we can get more young people to want to be here and stay here or come here and stay here, that, to me, is an amazing bellwether of hope. And I think in some ways the crisis that we've both you know, been through from a health perspective as a community, from an economic perspective, and now from a physical realm, spatial perspective, is actually bringing people together and creating a vision of what we can be that, you know, maybe it wouldn't have been so interesting if we had been just like we were back in 2019, mm-hmm. where we had no, literally no vacancies for anything new mm-hmm. if you couldn't pay for it. Uh, so I actually think it's, uh, I have to say, maybe I feel blessed that we're, we're struggling through this, that mm-hmm. we have this opportunity now.
4: Well, they can read the standard, Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> And actually, the standard, this is not equipped to them, but you're doing, I think, great work on telling stories about what the current condition is, and what the issues are, and what the possible solutions are. But it's <clears throat> similar to Kate and others. Um, uh, even though we're experiencing unprecedented uh, situation in San Francisco, and it is almost hard to get your mind around it, it's so big, um it's still uh, it's it's created a huge set of opportunities which we didn't have 2 years ago um, there's been you know this the downtown san francisco destination idea the public realm plan is is possible because we have this kind of a, 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 a newly fragmented uh, you know series of resources that are not so locked up like they used to be so now that's much more available to play with. And I think we will, if if it works, we will use this as an opportunity to create a city which we want and have wanted but couldn't get to. And it's going to be much more uh, neighborhood-focused, diverse, intriguing, exciting area uh, than it has been in the past. And I think that's what we're looking To accomplish, and that's been on the agenda for a while. But now, with this um, kind of release of opportunities, we can we can go for it. And and that's certainly a better perspective, mental health-wise, for my in my mind. Than this is disaster, and everything is going to collapse, and this we're going to be the new Detroit. That is not going to happen in San Francisco. But it's going to take a a lot of work by a lot of people in a much in much more cooperative way than we've experienced in the past uh, to get to where we want to go as demonstrated by this, you know, these beautiful images behind us.
1: Uh, Thank you all for your answers. And I wish we could go on longer um, discussing some of these important issues with this great group of people, but that brings our program to a close. I'd like to thank again, Robbie Silver of the Downtown SF partnership, uh, Lo- uh, Laura Cresimano of SiteLab, Kate Sofis of the Office of Economic and Workforce Development, and Wade Rose of Advance SF for joining us today. And thank you in the audience as well. I'm Kevin Trong of the San Francisco Standard, and this Commonwealth program is now adjourned. Thank you all.
0: You've been listening to the Commonwealth Club of California. Hear thousands of our podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Stitcher.